Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Time, Time Bandits, Bandits Minute. Minute. Time Bandits Minute is a podcast in which Duncan Shields and Curtis Blaze analyze and scrutinize the 1981 Terry Gilliam movie, Time Bandits. One minute at a time. So, Duncan. Yes. I didn't realize this, but the, the very first instant of the minute, of the opening minute, is the Criterion uh, logo. And I couldn't tell what that was. You just did know what that was. Yeah. Is my perception right? Was it all zoomed in? A little bit. It's a little bit zoomed in, yeah. Okay, okay. So on the on the version we're watching, it's all zoomed so in. Just a, yeah, just a touch. So the top of, so like the bottom half of the Criterion letters and the top half of Collection on the bottom. So it just kind of looks like shapes. And you've got a, a, a piece of film logo with some C's in the middle. But but this is a, this is a Criterion edition uh, film. And this is a Criterion. They're an American company. And they're committed to licensing important classics and uh contemporary films so they're 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 very much a a bastion of film researchers enthusiasts critics and they're also hooked into like libraries and public institutions i think it must be a real feather in a director's cap to have their uh their film chosen to be commemorated in a criterion edition that's kind of like you know you've made it as a pop star when weird al covers one of your songs this is like you know you've made it as a director when criterion does an edition of one of your movies well and then also i don't know how i don't know how deep in the hole we want to go here but when you start talking about movies that are now controversial yeah you know do you do you make a do you do a preservation effort on you know song of the south (laughs) yeah well i think i mean i in this kind of argument i am very much on the side of preserve preserve it it. yeah whatever it is uh you know people can have their judgments about it but it was made and it was really popular it wasn't it's i'm fascinated by things that weren't made to be offensive but uh over the course of time have become so like I used to love weird science and I went back to have like a nostalgic rewatch and I was like, Ooh, some of these scenes, not that great. They have not aged well. You know, I just experienced the exact same thing with 16 candles. Oh yeah, no doubt. That's a, that's like a famous one. That's like one of those, like, uh, this is not okay. (laughs) Right. But the performances are still amazing. Well, I mean, we can, uh, we can move on to anchor Bay now if you want. (laughs) <laughs> now that we finished the first two seconds of the minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, Anchor um, Bay is uh is not too much on it. Like it's 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 no longer with us for one thing. They went defunct in 2017. They were a subsidiary of Stars with a Z or Z as you might say down there. Uh they okay. sold films, series, TV specials and short films all over the globe. Uh, then they made a deal to have their films distributed by 20th Century Fox. And after a year of that, they ended up folding. And then they changed into Lionsgate Home Entertainment, which is uh, still kicking, I think. It's the home video and DVD distribution arm of Lionsgate. And Lionsgate Films was formed in Vancouver, where I live. Shout out to Vancouver. And is named after the Lionsgate Bridge here. But now it's uh, it's headquartered in in santa monica so it lots of canadian connections yeah which i'm pretty i'm pretty happy about i was happy to 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 find that (laughs) out but i think a lot of these film companies one thing that's interesting to me about the streaming model as well is that a lot of these film companies as i as i've had it explained to me they simply had the trucks and infrastructure to distribute the films it's very Mm -hmm. 
analog. It's very, uh, you know, it's just, it's not so much that they made movies as that they could get them out there. So they ended up having a lot of... It's just that I've got a truck yeah. and I'm not shipping raw chicken this week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I just heard that you need your movie hauled somewhere. Yeah. Some dispatcher somewhere was like, oh, let's get this yeah, guy. Yeah, so they they had a lot of power those movie distributor companies. But now that films don't need trucks to get into people's eyes, you know, just fiber optics, I think a lot of them might be no longer with us in terms of like literally shipping physical units. I mean, I know DVDs are still a thing, but I imagine even that market's dwindled down to almost nothing. So you see these switches in media over time. And this is something that I also find really interesting is there's, there's like, we know about Mozart. Right. We know about Beethoven, but they both had 50 or so contemporaries, right? They, they, they both had lots of as equally famous or, or nearly as famous composers that were all competing for the favor of the king and the nobility at the same time. But we know about those two. Unless you take, you know, you're, you're deep into music history and you know about all the other ones. But the, the, the layman, like they, the filter of time has has let two of them survive. Yeah, and so and you see that with when we made the switch from, uh, like celluloid, which degrades crazy quick. It's like a it's like mm-hmm. fruit. It just you know you put it in a basement for something <laughs> and then it's you, you almost literally it's it's more like skin. Yeah, yeah. right. And uh, so <laughs> oh yeah yeah right. And then so but like that and then you, that switch to uh, like you know video and even at the time there was beta and VHS were the two big ones that came out of it, but there were 30 different kinds of videotape that were available that mm-hmm. were that were being used in different stu- like a lot of places had their proprietary stuff and then they got all winnowed away and then it became video and then video left and then it was DVD and then it was Blu-ray and now hardware, you know, an actual physical unit is gone altogether and it's just that every time that happens we lose thousands of movies. Like there's a movie called Cold Blooded that I really like with Jason Priestley. He he's a sort of a a kid who's like on the spectrum and he's like an accountant for the mob. And uh, then the the leader of the mob gets uh, whacked and he gets promoted to hitman. So he's like this doe-eyed robotic teen who's like really good at killing people, just as good as he was at uh, adding up numbers. But he, he doesn't feel that great about it. But it's got like Michael J. Fox, it's got like Janine Garofalo, it's got all these amazing actors in it. And it's not Shakespeare. Yeah, it's not Shakespeare, but it's pretty funny. It never got a DVD release, right? It's 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 life stopped at video. And if somebody has scanned it and put it on the internet somewhere, then then uh, then great. But there's never going to be like a, a 4K restoration of of that film. It's effectively dead, right? Where it's it's it stays are numbered, and you know when the last person who remembers it dies, that'll be it for that movie. And so I think you know there's like time, and then there's a switching of media that just is this this filter. And so like you got your companies like Criterion that are like we are rescuing these films from the jaws of time. That is exactly what I see Criterion doing is rescue because. Yeah, and that's ostensibly what the Library of Congress is trying to do as well. You know, the stories that filter through about the conditions they find some of this stuff in terrifying. Okay, anyway, then we get <sighs> the uh, the logo. Well, then we get on to the to the, the good, good one. one, handmade films, which is the real hero of the show here. 
How can you hate something made by George Harrison? Right. It's founded by uh, George Harrison and business partner Dennis O'Brien in 1978 after being introduced by no big deal Peter Sellers in 1973. <laughs> right. <laughs> and they got together to finance The Life of Brian, another film that he rescued because he liked that whole crew so much. He even mortgaged his home in order to finance it. That's real faith in a project. George Harrison is probably the reason that Monty Python made the jump from just being a sort of old TV show to a thing that everybody knows now in 2020. A hundred. Yeah, totally. And yeah, like I think Eric Idle called the. Uh, his his banking of Life of Brian, he called it the most anybody's ever paid for a cinema ticket in history, which is, I think, pretty uh, pretty hilarious. But after yeah, after they did that, they distributed uh, the Long Good Friday in 1980, which is another fantastic good film with Bob Hoskins. I've never heard of it. I, I I now want to go see that. Fully recommend it. It's a it's a wonderful Bob Hoskins classic. It, it seems like a it seems like an obvious name for a movie company but it was actually stolen or not stolen but the name was was copied from the from british handmade paper oh yeah right i remember reading something about that well george harrison came upon this name he was he was getting a roll of paper and noticed this british handmade paper logo printed on it and that's how he came up with the name for this for handmade films he just wanted it to like be a joke a, a take on that it's very literal right like all films, I guess, technically are handmade, you know, but it's... Uh, That's what I mean. It works on a couple of different levels. Yeah. It's a good enough name. Like these days, a lot of movies start, you see all these production companies and there's like, it seems like, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for people making a production company for each movie that they do or for each TV show that they do. So you see these production companies that only exist for Well, these... organizationally, yeah, you know, in order to, uh, in order to do the money anymore. He made this. He made this production company, and he executive produced like I don't know a bunch, a bunch of. Movies. Uh, yeah, he did another one with Bob Hoskins, Mona Lisa. Uh, he did. Uh, uh, he did. Oh, they did the cult classic with Mail and I, which is a, a massive one. And uh, and then, unfortunately, he was also on Shanghai Surprise with uh, Madonna and then newlywed husband Sean Penn. Which oh uh, man, okay, I I, I want to take it aside. Have you seen that movie lately? No. Oh, you should go watch it. Give it okay. a chance. It ain't bad. It's a it's a nice little adventure comedy. It got roasted at the time. That's what I remember. I know it did, but yeah. me being younger and not knowing about it getting roasted, watched it. I was like, eh. I like that. I like that when you see a movie that really got it in the teeth from the critics, and you're like, actually, this isn't that bad. So, but yeah, George Harrison. George Harrison really came through for British cinema in the eighties. I feel I've heard lots of stuff about the other three Beatles over the years. But George was just kind of back in the shadows doing uh, great stuff here and there. You know, it seems like George was back in the shadows doing amazing things for everybody. Yeah. He was just, oh, my God, while everybody else was while Paul was out making crappy dance records with his (laughs) wife (laughs) and John Lennon was carrying on the legacy of amazing music. And sure. I don't really know what I don't really know what that germ or what Ringo was up to. He was on. The newlywed game, I'm sure, a few yeah. times. <laughs> Password plus and all. Yeah. He was just being himself. Yeah. The greatest rock and roll drummer in the world. George oh. Harrison was just quietly making the UK great. Yeah. Like, I think they talk a lot. I remember, like, a lot of the uh, magazines back in the day for, you know, people that were fans of the Beatles would be like, are you a Ringo girl? 
are you a John girl? Are you a Paul girl? Or are you a George girl? Like, you know, so like, cause the, the, they sort of all were being pushed as four different, sex, yeah, four right. different archetypes, you know, like, uh, as, as, as they do. Right. And, uh, and I guess George was always like the quiet one, you know, do you like a quiet man? You know, like this is like, sure. he was kind of a background, a background guy, but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm happy to be doing this research and saying like, geez, who, who were you, man? You're great. Pass away, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Psh, I think post two thousand throat cancer or something. Yeah, damn. It's just two left. You know, it shocks me. Getting on to Time Bandits a little. I, want, I think it's worthy to note that Time Bandits was not a flop financially, thanks to like Terry Gilliam's low budget genius solutions to like effect shots, not unlike Michelle Gondry in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Uh, like the budget was kept down. This movie cost five million dollars. Can you even fathom right now picking up a camera and making a movie that's decent with this many special effects no. for $5 million? No, that's bonkers. And it's more than just inflation, right? Like it was. It's way more than just inflation. Even, inflation would make this movie $11 million. Yeah. And, you know. But and it, you couldn't do that either. <laughs> it earned uh, $35 million in its first 10 weeks of release in the U.S. So it, it like, was a financial success. Film. Before we do the the movies by minute thing, where we just name names and then and then the best movies they were in, I just want to say that you know a lot of these there's a lot of controversy surrounding some of these people. Oh sure, and and how things have how going forward in time maybe they aren't such good people anymore. Sure, I kind of I kind of don't want to get into that. I'm Isn't into that it. I want to avoid it, but but I kind of want to just well we can. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it could be you know ag- I mean? acknowledged, but I def I don't want to get into it either. That's not that's not right. I don't want it to be the show about how there's a certain segment of people that don't like you know things that people involved in this film have done. One of my one of my goals on this is just to examine this movie as an artistic piece. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. Okay, cool. So <laughs> getting into the names, yeah, the, uh, the so, names that we actually have, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Do you do you have a segment uh, segue into this or? I don't have a segue. I'm just saying we've got this amazing cast that I'm sure we can get into like more depth about when their scenes show up at the film. But I'd just like to rattle off the list of names just to do like it. say like look at this amazing cast we've got. John just Cl- just sorry. the named just the top of the credit named names. Yes. In, in in our minute. In our minute, we've got John Cleese, Sean Connery, Shelley Duvall. Catherine Helmond, Ian Holm, Michael Palin, Ralph Richardson, Peter Vaughn, and David Warner. Just in, in this minute. Just for people that are our age, and I, I hate to sort of go there, but for people that are our age, this is almost every movie we've loved since the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This group of people. Well, I'm looking forward to getting into the accomplishments of like Ralph Richardson and Peter Vaughn because I'm admittedly not very familiar with uh, with their work. But every other person on that list. Right, right. I mean, you're right, of course. Yeah. David Warner, Ian Holm, Catherine Hellman. Oh, my God, Catherine Hellman. Shelley Duvall. What a wild life Shelley Duvall has, you know, like. Right. Well, just her career was like, who are you? You know, like <laughs> you're just wild, and she uh, is like one of those one of those George Harrisons. She's yeah, just what she was doing in the background is like wow. I'm a big fan of Shelley Duvall. She seems hella interesting, and she's got that 
wonderfully. I know. Unique. Isn't she the kind of person you'd just like to like meet up for coffee yeah, with and just talk 100%. to for an hour? Totally. Man. Totally. You know, totally. She seems very, very, very interesting. But yeah. And that goes for almost, almost the entire, the, uh, the entire cast here. Well, most of this cast would be overwhelming. It'd be like, oh my God, Sean Connery. But I mean, who do we have left here? John Cleese, still alive. Shelley Duvall. Mm-hmm. Catherine Hillman has passed. Home yeah. is still with us. No, Ian passed. No, Ian passed away. That's right. Damn. Last year, I think. Yeah, yeah. No more Bilbo Baggins. No, unfortunately. No more Napoleon. No more Napoleon. Michael Payne. He's who I think of when I think of Napoleon. By the way. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God, he's so good in this movie. He's so I know, good. I know. Everybody's performance in this movie is just definitive. Yeah. John Cleese is Robin Hood. Oh man, that whole bit. Peter Vaughn is God to me when I think of God. Yes, yes, it is just <laughs> compl- like if it's possible to be two hundred percent British, that's like right, quite, quite. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, no, none of that, none of that. That kind of that kind of authority, where like a charging dragon, you know, he'd be like, no, no, none of that, not today. And the dragon would be like, oh, I'm dreadfully sorry, I'll, I'll just stop then, you know, like this. <laughs> no, he was perfectly cast, and then Peter Vaughn is the ogre. He does a wonderful job. I, I want. Is that, that's, I mean, do, I, do I got that right? Is it Peter Vaughn? Is no, the, yeah. Okay. I, I think let me let me look the because I, I'm having the same problem with you with those with those two actors. I should know this. Yeah, Ralph Richardson uh, is God. Yeah, and then uh, Ralph Richardson is Peter God. Vaughn You're is right, and Peter Vaughn is the ogre. Yeah. Okay, but we uh, we talk. We you want to talk a little bit about the score because we can hear some of the score here. Well, we hear three notes of it. We hear three notes of it. I love the score <laughs> to this movie. Uh, the scene, the music that's playing right now reminds me a little bit of the theme from the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth yeah, dimension. A lot. So there might be some similar eighties instrumentation here. Now the music here was composed by Mike Moran, who also did the movie, the missionary. So he's, uh, you know, no slouch, but the press release for the soundtrack is pretty cool. It says Moran's diverse score employed electronics along with full symphonic and choral sounds to accompany Gilliam's richly imaginative fantasy adventure. You know, so he's got classically limbed period music for Napoleon in battle, haunting modal-flavored theme for ancient Mycenae in Greek, darkly menacing orchestral music for evil genius and other musical treasures. All manner of percussion front and center each recorded on their own channels, requiring a degree of complex mixing and uh, right. a series of action cues for battles inside the uh, Fortress of Darkness, recorded in numerous shorter sections, also requiring considerable editorial assembly. Fanfares, brass rhythms, it's uh, pretty cool. He orchestrated his own score, which was conducted at Harry Rabinowitz, well, conducted by Harry Rabinowitz and recorded by John Richards at CTS Studios in England. So a lot of work and, went into And Duncan, it. it isn't just that he made a cool score. Yeah. It's that he created a score and then created almost mood stuff underneath of the score. Yeah. That works in concert with the score. Yeah. The score itself is this cool orchestral thing. Yeah. And then there's this electronic thing going on underneath that's that's triggering your subconscious to have a mood about each scene. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Almost like yeah, almost like there's this diegetic tone that everybody in the movie and outside of the movie can hear happening just just at the edge of your at the edge of your conscious kind of enhancing what you should be feeling or what you should be thinking of during the scene yeah and this uh this opening 
this opening part where he does the uh, just the keyboards, the '80s keyboard thing, mm-hmm. in a way that nobody else uses keyboards. Yeah, he did uh, Time Bandits, The Missionary, uh, Water. Yeah, he seems to be so, well. If he's seventy-two, so he'd be the same age. So he he'd had some experience previously, but it seems like he he could draw from several different pots to make one thing and uh it it shows and i like that it goes really hand in hand with the movie because the movie he's using instruments that are period specific to the or they sound period specific to the periods of time that kevin goes to you know but it's also when they're all played together it's like you've got uh this, this this cultural mismatch of this temporal and cultural mishmash from across time and space all playing together to do the score. And uh, I really love that. That's one of my favorite things about the score to this movie. There's always this undertone of like, you know, yeah, pacing it, setting the mood. And he breaks out into every other thing out of that, into every other type of theme and combines them, mixes them and swirls them around. It's really well done. He played uh, keyboards for Kate Bush as well. Interesting. Yeah, he's, he wow. a, he's a session musician as well as uh, you know a composer and and doing all the stuff that he did. But he was also just uh, I think his probably his bread and butter um, was just being a session musician. So in this minute we get this you know this tone. Duh, yeah, kind of sounds like people. We obviously know it's a keyboard, but it kind of sounds like a chorus of people, and it's doing this sort of ominous tone. And then uh, in this minute, we get our first, like, just pounding can- yeah. piano flourish. I love this. I love this goes, sound. With that crash. Yeah, it's kind of like... As the as the map is revealed. Bit of a bit of an echo to it. You know, it's almost like the opening to Law and Order. Tang, tang. I never thought about that, but yeah. We just hammered on the piano and then... That's the that's the sting for the transition to actually seeing the map. And I, you know, I think one thing um, in the coming minutes, I'd like to go through the differences between the script and the novel and the comic as compared to the movie. But um, you know, well, we've already got a couple of things where the the book, or at least the comic book. Let me check the script. The script and the comic book both start right here before the beginning of the movie. Well, they kind of start. In in my well, I mean, it's open to interpretation. I was kind of thinking they start in the next minute. Like I sort of take seeing the map as the okay, we're off to the races. You know, this has just been like produced by this is like here's some of the it's just it's just words on a screen. It's just you know the cast here are the production companies, and then we get a millisecond of the actual map. Um, but yeah, to me, it, it kind of the 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 differences of all those different uh, media. They start in the next minute. I'm going to start. Well, talking. I think I'm. I think I'm disagreeing with you on this. Okay. Here, here's my here's my theory. The original screenplay had a voiceover. Yeah. And it and it and this tone that's going on right now would be the perfect place for it. Sure. And then the piano would build and crash, and you'd see the you'd see the map. Yeah, and it would continue into the. That's what I mean. Is like it would to me. It would. And that's where that's where the word light would come. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay. And then you'd and then you'd build time bandits and everything while you're talking about you know you got this thing like going on into the next minute. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. That's uh, do you want to go through what that voiceover was? I wish I had. I've got it here. I've got it here. Oh no, no, I've got it in front of me. Oh, I just okay. wish I had a a uh, 
it, what? Oh, I'm trying to think of his name. I need to edit it in now. Who's the guy that does the trailer? Oh, Don Lafontaine. <laughs> I, I wish we could do it in his voice. Uh, well, if I was, uh, if I'd stayed up later and was more hungover, I'd probably be in a be world, able. in a world, it is the beginning of time. The past has only just begun. Nothing exists except the Supreme being himself and the Supreme being decreed there should be light. And with the and light, that's where I think, yeah, and, and that's it, where I think this would end in the minute. Yeah. You'd be light and you'd be like, yeah, and the map cool. would explode. Because it was all darkness before then. Yeah, so you get this kind of Douglas Adams intro, you know, like uh, all this. And then, yeah, we get, and then it goes through the, but it would all be, in, yeah, in, in darkness. And, but I think that, uh, you know, does that bring us to the end of the first minute? I think it that would bring us to the end of the first minute right there. Yeah. The only thing I want to talk about is that in the script, you know, that voiceover, it is the beginning of time. This map is a map to, you know... <sighs> How to explain this? All of existence. All of existence, including existence that doesn't exist and including existence that might exist. Yeah. No, it's a hell of a map. (laughs) (laughs) It really is. It's a four, it's like a four dimensional map. Like I'm like, because in the, in the scenes that were cut, they go to the future. So the map has uh, ostensibly gates to the future, gates to the past, probably gates to the dawn of the time. But it's a gate to the future, to all the futures that might be. Yeah, too. and it's got gates to the lands, lands of the lands of myths, right? So, and I, how do you read? What's the legend on the side of this map? How do you, you know, what's how do you? What are the, do you read what are the symbols map? on the map? How do you read this map? If I owned this map, I'd be like, wow, that's interesting. I have no idea. I actually do have this map on the way. I have a, a poster of this map. On oh, there. outstanding! I want to get one of those too. I don't know if. I'll the read at that point either, no. but I haven't found a deep place to take a dive into the mind of Terry Gilliam, where he has written a book and shared a bunch of things, or has a collection of things. He kind so, no, he's got it. He's done a lot of interviews, but uh, but, you know, but his work kind of there speaks. isn't a place where he says what the sideways e with the squiggle means. There yeah. isn't a place where you know all these things, and I've been image searching them. And, I'm not really coming well, we up can, with much that makes we sense. We can, uh, yeah, that's that's sort of, we can, we start to, like, As we, we, go get, through we this get a movie. millisecond in this minute of that, and then we get a full minute <laughs> right, of it in right. the next minute. So let's let's go into the symbol the symbols in the next minute. That's a, That sounds like a good idea to me. Yeah. Well, I guess that's it. So, yeah, tune in next week for uh, for more time. Oh, yeah, we're, that's that's going to be taken care of with, uh, with the outro, too. Yeah, for sure, right? Yeah, we're just going to, we're just going to fade out on us talking about the conversation. <laughs> okay. The Time Bandits Minute is a fan project hosted by Curtis Blaze and Duncan Shields. The movie, Time Bandits, was created by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin and is presented by Handmade Films. The novel Time Bandits was written by Charles Alverson and is based on a screenplay by Michael Palin and Terry Gilliam. It is published by Severn House Publishing. The comic book adaptation, Time Bandits, was created by the team at Marvel Comics and published by Stan Lee. The screenplay, Time Bandits movie script, was written by Terry Gilliam and Michael Palin. It was published by Doubleday Dolphin Books. You can find more of us at timebanditsminute.com or text us at 712-830-7373. You can also find us on Facebook at Time Bandits Minute the podcast. Thank you to the Star Wars Minute guys for graciously allowing us to steal the format. 
If you would like to listen to other Movies by Minutes podcasts, check out moviesbyminutes.com. Join us next time for Minute 2, where you'll hear the game show announcer say, The Moderna Wonder Major All-Automatic Convenience Centerette gives you all the time in the world to do the things you really want to do. (laughs) 